0: Neves Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution. So
1: a very warm welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam, 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia Cory and I'm so delighted to have... Um, a local treasure trove, that's what I'm going to call her, and Debbie Roberts, who's CEO, and I'm going to say online mastermind of of the Ollie Foundation, which we all know and love. And she's also a local mental health guru who's providing amazing services to our community. So a very warm welcome, Debbie. How are you doing?
2: Hello, Lydia. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm fine. Um, Thank you for having me on the show today.
1: Our pleasure. Now, we're going to talk to you about goals. And and it's a subject I love to hear you speak about. But before we do that, let's jump back to the Ollie Foundation. We'd love to know how are things going, how has COVID affected workshop delivery and your and your work in general.
2: Well, um, thank you for asking about Ollie. Um, we're actually really proud of what we've been able to achieve. I think we were very mindful we were quite aware of of how the world was beginning to unfold. So we were really quick to make sure we had an online offer. Um, So we were delivering trainings online from March, something that we hadn't been doing before. I have to admit, probably like a a lot of other organisations, it had always been a nice to, but not necessary. It was really clear from the beginning of March that this was no longer a nice to, and it was a necessary. And yeah, we've been able to do that. We we've had huge numbers coming onto our trainings, and people from all around the world. The other week, Lydia, we had ten professors in South Korea who got up at three thirty in the morning because it was so important to them to attend a suicide prevention training. I mean, how amazing is that?
1: That's amazing. That is really fantastic, Debbie. What a quick turnaround! But it must have been quite stressful getting everything. I mean, you guys have been delivering workshops for. For a few years now, but to get that all online must have been quite
3: stressful.
2: It, it was definitely a a project that needed a lot of passion, um, and we reached out. You know, geography didn't exist anymore, so we were able to speak to those colleagues who were and um, friends at other charities and collaborate with them um so we sort of have brought people together under our umbrella uh, and that's been really lovely and it's allowed us to offer even more to the community Um, and and it's just been delightful and Lydia I think you've you've heard me say before it it's amazing what you can achieve if you don't mind who takes the credit and in suicide prevention many of you know all our all our friends and colleagues who run other charities, their only drive is to stop anyone else happening to suffer the loss that they have suffered. Um, because most of these charities are set up by bereaved parents. So, you know, they're not quite, there's not quite the same drivers, they just want people to be able to access this information. And um, yeah, we've been really, really pleased with with the amount of training we've been able to offer. But also, how well received it's been we're having teachers educators nurses parents young people and teachers actually especially have have been either coming or signposting their students to our training so thank you to them for supporting us
1: that's brilliant it's so so great to hear that Debbie and I love the sentiment behind it you know as long as nobody's interested in who takes credit you know we we all that's that's a good thing for all of us to think about you know in, in particularly in times like this it is a global pandemic you know we've never ever kind of experienced what we're experiencing now and hopefully we'll never experience it again but yeah lovely lovely sentiment
2: well I would say Lydia it really leads us into what we're going to be talking about today because if you're clear what your goal is and our goal is to prevent People's health, mental health deteriorating and for overwhelm and to prevent suicide. That's the goal. So everything else is really irrelevant. And that's why we were able to work so quickly and collaborate with others who shared that goal and, and get the job done.
1: Brilliant. And that is, a, that is a perfect segue exactly into what we wanted to talk about. So tell us what goals are and tell us why they're important.
2: Well, it turns out that there's quite a science behind goal setting. So when we talk about goals over at the Olly Foundation, we we agree with, with anyone who comes onto our courses that a goal is a positive and very desirable result. However, it is often perceived to be quite ambitious because the target is probably, well, maybe challenging or it feels difficult to attain. You know. And different people will have different goals. So, for for instance, getting out of bed and getting dressed, you might not even consider that as that's just an automated process that you do as part of your day. But for some people, that is a goal. That is a huge thing for them to achieve. So, when we talk about this positive and very desirable result, we also have to be really clear that there is a huge range of of, of what looks like a goal to people. So um, why is it important? The second part of your question is because we, you know, we talk a lot about resilience, resilient. We want our students to be resilient. We want resilient families, resilient communities. Um, And people talk about resilience without always understanding the elements of it. And actually what we know from the science is that there's a range of, you know, resilience comes through opportunities of experience, and certain traits that we see that are really part of that whole resilient package are: is the ability to be hopeful, to be willing, willing to be open to new ideas and to be positive. Um, there's a whole range of things, but one of them is knowing what your goals are. And here's the thing, knowing how to achieve them. Because when you don't know how to achieve your goals, it, you know, you can see that arguably, it may even be worse than not having a goal in the first place because if you have this thing but you just have no idea how to reach it that that can be quite distressing so goals goals are important in terms of our resilience when our goals are aligned with our values and our interests we we have that self concordance that comes in and and so that really helps us to stay on track you know the, there are many many steps towards our goal lots of stepping stones, and some of them, frankly, are long, boring, and I'd rather be doing anything else right now. When you can stay with that vision, when you know what your goal is, then that small little task right now that feels a bit just, oh, I wish I was doing anything else. Actually, you can remind yourself, ah, yeah, but it is actually part of, I want to do this because I want to be over there. I want to be doing that thing. And this is one of the steps I have to take to get there. So on, when we're doing goal setting courses, we, we often talk about the conflict, wanting to go out and see your friends perhaps, and having to finish a, a report or an essay. It has to be done for the morning. And actually, you don't have the hours where you can do both. And it, it's actually when you know what your goal is, then staying in and finishing that report or that essay becomes a little bit easier.
1: That makes so much sense. It really does. And what would you say, Debbie, if, if people are saying, I'm not a goal kind of person, you know, I don't generally create goals. Should like should people consciously do it then? Set a goal, think about it, reflect, find one and, and go towards it? Do
2: you know what? I think there are definitely people out there who, who just do this intuitively. They, they don't feel that there's something, you know, goal setting feels like a bit of a long process. And quite frankly, it can be. The thing about having a goal is, is it does sort of, well, it it marks out your destination, doesn't it? And, and I think when you have clear goals that are in line with your values, as I said before, it can be really helpful. So, you know, your goal may be that I want I want to feel content I want to yeah I I try and avoid the word happy but for a lot of people they will talk about happiness that's another conversation that we can have because I think when we chase happiness all the time that can be a problem too because actually what people mainly mean is or what they really mean is that they want to be content and then you look at what, what what brings contentment? What do you mean by that? And, and probably it will be a variation of a theme for most people, but it's it's the drilling down of the, and looking at these thoughts in, in more detail. What actually is it that I mean by content and what is it that currently gets in my way? And this is one of the great tips from the science of goal setting, is not to just have this lofty goal and then just create your to-do list. Within the science of goal setting, it allows us to understand, you know, some great research has gone on that actually the first step after saying what your goal is, is to look at what's getting in your way. What is currently stopping you? Because if you knew what to do, you'd be doing it, right?
1: Yeah, And identifying obstacles. That's, is that, yeah. that what you
2: mean? Yeah, yeah. Because if you knew what to do and then it, it is just a to-do list, right? I, I, I know I want to get milk. I know how to do that. But if if there are things that are getting in your way, it it would be a good idea to identify them first, because then you can plan how to get round them so that they're no longer an obstacle. And this is one of, I I sometimes think this is one of the issues for people when they're thinking about their goals, because it's like this big, big cloud above them, uh, this big thing, and they haven't gone into the detail of it. What is it that they actually want? And what's stopping them right now? and for a lot of people so for instance when when we're talking maybe for instance a young person who's got an important set of exams coming up many many of our students in year 11 will have quite a considerable amount of exams or or they would have done so just looking at your exams it just seems huge massive but if we can break it down into into these little small obstacles then it it for many people it can feel more manageable um, and it doesn't become just this one big thing that's giving them pressure and stress right now.
1: And I, I, I mean, we, I've been lucky enough to have this conversation with you, Debbie, off air. And um, and I know what you're saying and I've seen it with with my children and particularly over over the lockdown and when they have to do so much learning from home. And first thing in the morning when the, they go to check, the app that they're using, and suddenly there's 14 tasks, and that feeling of being so overwhelmed. I mean, children up and down the country are going to be feeling this. So, what do you recommend they should do? So, is it just you said break down the tasks? How, can you tell us a bit more detail about what they should be doing?
2: Okay, so the, there are six basic stages. So, if there is something you want to achieve, so all your tasks for today. you've opened your laptop you've got all these things that you have to do so you might want to the first step would to be to verbalize what it is you want to achieve by the end of the day so it might be to have successfully completed all my tasks today or, or something along those lines and then the next step is to look at what are all the things that could stop you so that might be well I don't I don't have enough time or I and, and what is it about not having enough time? Because here's the thing, people can write in shorthand, they know what they mean, but they just summarize that obstacle with a word like time. But time for you could have there could be a whole list of obstacles under time. So it could be, well, I promised I'd babysit Mum while she does that meeting. Uh, I promised I'd babysit my younger brother. I have to. I have chores that I have to do. So that's another chunk of time, and and that's important. I have to do these chores because it helps Mum out and Dad, and and actually, it's how I earn a bit of pocket money. Another task is, oh, I didn't actually complete the reading before that essay that has to be in today so there's a whole load of so do you see what I mean if you just put time there could be various things within that and they're all going to need a slightly different solution which is why they need to be broken down into each element
1: absolutely yeah that makes that makes a huge amount of sense
2: and once you've got your list there of all your obstacles in in the process that I particularly favour, which is something that comes from a methodology called the theory of constraints, we actually, the next step is we imagine what it would be like if that particular obstacle no longer existed. Now, I must just say, Lydia, if, you're, if we're doing something that's quite short term, like for today, this is my goal, I just want to get everything done today, this next step might feel a bit laborious. But for those goals that are a little bit further away, for instance, not something that you wanted to achieve today, for instance, like maybe I need to finish a book, but maybe I need to be at a different level or I, I need to have improved significantly in this area. One of the things that can stop people is that they just can't imagine themselves ever doing it. So the next step in the process that we use at Ollie is to think about, what life would be like if that obstacle no longer existed. So if we stick with the time example, you might then write next to that obstacle, I have all the time I need. And that's actually sufficient. Um, And the reason why this is important is it stops your brain catastrophizing. So if you're thinking the whole time, oh, I don't have time, I don't have this, these are all the, you know, this is what's draining me. You're now imagining what it would be like if this wasn't a problem and you're actually creating a new loop in your head because we're really good at having these backing tracks that tell us why something can't happen. It, it's part of the negative bias that we've, evolution has allowed us to develop. It was supposed to protect us, but for a lot of us, it can hold us back. So sometimes we really need to give ourselves this new version of ourselves where things are all working out. And here's the other thing, uh, Lydia, I don't know if you, you, you've you had conversations with other people on the show where um, they've considered this, but the voice you listen to loudest is your own, your internal voice. So if you're telling yourself all the time that you can't do it, that you don't have the time, that's what you're hearing. And actually, that's what you're going to pay attention to. So it's all very well your mum or your counsellor or your teacher or other people telling you, oh, yeah, you've got you can do this. You can do this. What tends to happen is in your head, you think, oh, you've got to say that because you're my mum or you're my friend. So you're always going to be on my side, championing me. That's part of our negative bias that we we challenge. Uh, it's crazy, isn't it? Right. Those people trying to support us. Yeah,
1: but they're probably the least people we're going to le- listen to you least. But that's really interesting that your own voice is the most important. So that's the one you've got to work on and, and change that negative bias. Is, is that what you're saying?
2: That's right. And that's why it's really important to look at that each obstacle and then imagine what it would be like if it wasn't a problem, because that gives you that new positive. So I have all the time I need. I have all the money I need. I have all the knowledge I need. We're talking about... It hasn't happened yet. I get that. Right now, you don't know actually how you're going to make that time happen, or that money happen, or that knowledge happen. But what we want to do is imagine that it's possible, and 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 that is just scientifically proven to help change that voice in your head, and that uh, potentiates your commitment. It really sort of helps seal the deal because now I've imagined a point in the future even if it might just be a few hours away where I've got this job done. The next step is to work out, okay, well, if that's my imagined future, how am I actually going to make that happen? And this is when you list, you start thinking about all the tasks you have to do to make this short-term goal a reality. And the final step is then to take all those actions and look at what which of all these actions for all these obstacles has to happen first or second or third or can they are they not interrelated can they happen at different times or maybe simultaneously and you literally put all those little notes out you can put them on your desk on a window on a wall and you will literally have in front of you a road map it's a bit like a google map that takes you from where you are now to where you want to be in the future
1: that's brilliant. So so everybody needs some lovely, colourful Post-its at hand when they're going to try and put this into practice, Debbie, right?
2: Listen, if you've got Post-it notes at home, that would be great. But you know what? Just scraps of paper that you can move about because it does become a little bit of a, you know, you will move things. And even though your plan, you you would have done it beautifully, I know. But at that end stage, there will be things that you you just By putting it out, you realize, ah, hang on, that has to happen before that. Or actually, there's another action that I have to take that I hadn't even thought about before. So it's great if it's post it notes because they're so lovely and easy to move around, but little scraps of paper, just as good.
1: Fantastic. So, can we just run over the steps again? Because this is just a perfect little lesson, a mini lesson. Obviously, people couldn't go and take the full training with the Ollie Foundation, but if we could just go through it step by step, just remind us it's set your goal and define your obstacles can you just run through
2: yeah write down your stated goal and writing it what we know from the science and it's really really clear thinking about it is not the same as writing it down write it down be really clear why it's important to you this is a goal and then Put it somewhere where you can see it. Once you've written it down, have it as your screensaver. Have it as a note by your bed. Have it on a mirror that you'll see every day, perhaps when you're cleaning your teeth or washing your face. Have it somewhere where you can regularly see it because that prompts you. And it reminds you, you know, that all those boring tasks you have to do today, you're doing them because you want to be signed for that team. You want to get that book published. You want to pass those exams. This is why that task today, which feels so long, is important. So write down your goal, put it somewhere where you can see it. Next step in in the process is to think about the things that could stop you reaching that goal. So this is this really isn't about being doom and gloom this is about being realistic
1: that's exactly what i was thinking when you said i thought it's being realistic and i i I love that you think because time will be the one that most people talk about right and for you to say i have all the time in the world that's it's such it takes all the stress and strain out of it doesn't it
2: yeah and then then you have to think well all right i i'm imagining that i have all the time in the world how am i actually gonna make that happen and you would be surprised. There's another saying that I love, which is what you can do in an emergency is what you probably should have been doing all along. Now, in relation to time, if you're saying, actually, it's quite urgent, I need to finish this report, or I need to get this thing done by today or next week, it's suddenly become quite urgent. And you will find that the things that you thought, the things you were procrastinating with, you can now remove and get on with there I bet there'll be so many people on this call um who, who are that you know there was always the person at uni or college or school or work wherever it is who leaves it till the last minute because that pressure focuses them and they can remove all those distractions and just get on with it actually we we can do that at any time we can not scroll through Facebook or Instagram or watch our favourite programme on on TV or whatever it might be that right now feels like, no, 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 this is important, I need to do this. Mm, Is it important? It, It probably can wait. So very often you can find the time, even when you believe today you can't. So write down your obstacles, plan how you're going to overcome each one of those obstacles, because for the most part they will be able to be overcome. I will just say if you find something that, that you just cannot find the solution for, it might be that the goal you're working on just needs to be pushed aside for today. And that thing that seemed so big that you couldn't find a way of reverbalizing it, maybe that's the thing that you have to work on first. But, anyhow, um, work out the actions. All your obstacles and then just follow them through. And science says you're 78% more likely to achieve your goal by following that plan. Isn't that amazing? It
1: is, Debbie, and I know it works. I mean, it's a very simple few steps, and I've taken it, I've used it with my kids to great success, you know, and that's why I think when parents hear this, or carers, or grandparents, you know, it's such a simple few steps. Take it honestly. Get your children to listen to this podcast or just write down the steps and work through one thing like why they hate swimming, you know, or why they hate any, any activity or why they, you know, are struggling to get through any activity at all. It's a perfect kind of step system to use to get through that. I I just think it's brilliant. I really do. I'm a huge fan, as you know, Debbie, but I, I see, I know we've taken a lot of your time now and I think that just brilliant advice
2: there. Thank you. Well, I would just like to say one more thing. When, when you talk about, oh, I hate swimming, or I hate reading, or I... What, whenever we put, I hate something, hate is a term that covers up all sorts of things. And usually, along with hate, or underneath hate, is fear, or embarrassment, or shame, or a whole host of other things. A fear of loss of something, maybe a loss of pride, or... If, you, if someone's saying, I hate something, there is definitely work to be done. There will be a number of obstacles. Well, what do you hate about it? What is it that concerns you about this? So anyone who's got a child who's saying, well, I just hate that, find out why they hate it. You might be surprised. They might have a genuinely good reason to hate it. But they might also be creating obstacles that you can help them overcome.
1: Brilliant. Sound advice. Debbie Roberts, thank you so much for for joining us on The Parents Show and for sharing sharing your wisdom. That's really helpful, particularly at a time like this when so many children are learning from home and they need to kind of figure out how to get through these tasks. It's actually a great opportunity to put this into place and to teach this little technique, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. And and for anyone that would like to know more, our workshops are online. They're they're free to attend. So please join. Just check out the Ollie Foundation website and you should find all the information you need.
1: Fantastic. Debbie Roberts, thanks a million for joining us on the Parents Show.
2: Ah, oh, Lydia, thank you.
1: A very warm welcome to the Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia El
0: Good evening. I am Seema Barker.
1: So tonight on the show, we've got two guests who are undertaking something I will never, ever in my life undertake. I can say that with great, great, great surety. So we're going to have Mike Higgins and Peter Norlander, and they're going to join us in just a few seconds to tell us about a very exciting undertaking that they're uh, up to at the moment. So hi, Peter. Hi, Mike. How are you?
4: Well, Well, thank you. Thanks very much for having us on.
3: Yeah, hi Lydia. Hi Seema.
1: It's it's a pleasure. Now, first of all, we just want to hear a little bit about how has the lockdown been impacting your life?
4: Oh goodness. Well, we have barely. Well, for the first few weeks of lockdown, we barely left uh, the property that we live in, and I think, like a lot of people, we were all going completely around the bend. And as soon as I realised I could get out on daily exercise. I latched onto running, running around the nearby park where Peter and I live in Crystal Palace. And that has been a lifesaver. So getting outdoors has got me through lockdown and our whole family.
3: Yeah, I think that's that's so true, you know. I mean, it's we're all going a bit uh crazy. Progressive. This is day, I've stopped counting. The last day that I counted was day 80-something. It's just ridiculous. And being able to go out there and for a run, even for a couple of minutes and getting some sense of the outside world and and getting a bit of green you know in, in in a local park has been has been has been really important i'll be i'll be very honest
1: so i mean that i think that'll resonate with a lot of people but you both have gone from that to a huge undertaking mike peter tell us a little bit about your 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 brainwave
4: Well, um, myself and Peter and another friend of ours called James Cooper, we've come up with a charity running event we're calling Run for a Bus. It's very simple, from tomorrow morning and all weekend, that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we and lots of other people all around London will be running along a bus route to raise funds for bus workers who have been affected by COVID-19. I don't know how well it's known, but 33 bus workers, including 29 bus drivers, uh, have died in the pandemic. Personally, it I was out on a run that it came home to me. I, I was running back from the park across Annerley Hill early in April, and I looked down, and there was no traffic at all. There hadn't been any traffic for days, as we all know at that point. And there was one bus crawling up the hill with a bus driver at the wheel with his mask on. And I just thought, oh my god those guys are still out there still working uh in the face of all this and it was at the same time that the first very sad news about deaths among London bus workers started to become known um and that's when I had the idea I started chatting to James and then I started chatting to Peter and here we are.
0: I think that's a I think that's a really interesting point that we have all been thinking a lot about NHS workers and you know when we Think about that term, key workers. Probably for most of us, bus drivers don't, you know, jump to the forefront of our minds. So that's great that you're flagging that, and and you're right that there've been some terrible deaths, you know, for for bus drivers. So that's fantastic. So once you had that idea, what was the next step then?
4: I suppose the the, the next step was thinking what we three could do, and uh, we came up with the idea of of running a marathon ourselves. So. Peter, James, and I are going to run the two four nine bus route from Clapham to Crystal Palace, and then we're going to run up the three bus routes to Whitehall, do a little leap of the park, and then back down the three six three via Peckham and Honour Oak. But then we thought, hang on a moment, not everyone wants to run twenty six miles, so we began to think about ways to try to get all sorts of runners on board. People who just want to run a few a few kilometres, a few bus stops, if you want. To widen the reach because that's the only way we're going to publicize our fundraising and in fact it was Peter who then really got the bit between his teeth he got the face Facebook page running I'll, I'll hand over to Peter actually yeah
1: Peter how did you how did you get roped into this
3: well I got roped into it because Mike lived a couple of doors down from me so we were <laughs> we've we got a Facebook page for our local neighbors obviously we can't meet out in the street as much as we used to so we're all on, you know chatting on that and that's that's how i learned of it but it also struck me like like mike said you know not everybody wants to run a marathon and so we we've now got you know a dozen or so people um running and then and then hopefully more will join over the over the coming weekend and we've got some people running who have who've not run before you know they're just gonna run well run walk a distance along their local bus route and it's not really about how how far you run you know we're not running to to beat Mo Farah and we're not going to but we're running to raise funds for the families of the bus workers that's really the point and so we would encourage anybody really to just go out go for a run dedicated to the bus workers and donate to them hashtag run for a bus campaign you can find us on Facebook on Twitter the fundraising pages on Virgin uh, Money Giving. So it, it, it's really for everybody to do and to, you know, really honour the the huge commitments of the bus workers who kept the city running, <laughs> you know. So now we want to run for them. That's actually a phrase that, Mike, that you came up with, but that's really what it is. Yeah.
1: And I think that, that's going to resonate so much, you know. We in St Albans, we're all commuters. Everybody's going into London. They get a train in, and then they jump on a bus or do the tube. So to to pick up on on this particular um group of key workers is is so kind and so lovely. It's really such a great idea, Mike. Sorry, I think I interrupted you there.
4: Well, I was I was just going to say it. It uh, we we're all struck by all sorts of key workers, as Seema said earlier, who had gone above and beyond the, the, the call of their duty to help us uh, but but the buses kept quietly running all the way through this all the way through March, April, May it was a reduced service but they were still out there and as a obviously as a symbol for London a red double-decker bus well there's nothing more symbolic of London really so at, you know at one point I was I was quite emotional about it I thought this is you know this is something that has to be done for these people because I I couldn't quite see anybody else speaking up on their behalf. There were some very good news stories out there. but And it's been reflected in the way that people have taken up the cause out there in social media. We've got people running south, east, north, west London all weekend.
0: So Peter talked about some people can join and they can donate. So what would you like our listeners to do? Would you prefer them to walk, run if they're not walk runners or, you know, and, and also how do they find out about running along these bus routes?
4: Well, uh, it, I mean, there's a practical aspect to it. You can go onto the TFL website. You can find your local bus route very easily um, and you can run three, four, five stops, whatever whatever you can do. I mean, you can find us using the hashtag #RunForABus, For A Bus, as Peter mentioned, on Facebook and on Twitter. You can contact us at RunForABus@icloud.com, at and we can sign you up for the giving page. But you, you needn't even sign up for the giving page. As long as you circulate the details of our giving page, which you can find on all those platforms, you can get out there and run. You can you can use it in your own social media. You can attract sponsorship that way, and uh, we'd be delighted if you if you did so. I, I, of course, we'd be very very happy for people to donate. You don't have to run. You don't have to get your trainers on this weekend. Brilliant. <laughs>
1: <Great. Nailed. laughs> But actually, what I want to ask is, we we will we'll certainly share all the links on our Facebook and and uh, Twitter pages. But guys, have you run a marathon before? Is this just out of the blue? Will are you going to manage it this weekend?
3: Well, it's nice and warm, um, so that's that's going to be a bit of an issue. Yes, <laughs> we're we're going to set out early. Um, I actually feel for Jimmy who's running his fifty k as well in this heat. We'll 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 bring enough um, drink and and water, and we'll. We'll manage, right, Mike? We'll manage.
4: Yeah, we'll be okay. We've we've run we've we've run marathons before, and we know <laughs> you know not to go out too fast. And as Peter said, we're going out early in the morning because I I with every degree it goes above fifteen or sixteen degrees, it becomes pretty horrible hard work. So and we we're not we're going to be running nice and gently. We also want to we want to engage with you know running on bus routes to to engage with bus drivers, wave, get waves back get honks from them we've got uh, people we're going to be meeting along the way we're going to be sharing lots of media uh, lots of pictures on, on social media we, we want to make it a, a, a fun occasion a, a bit of an event to kick off the whole weekend and then as much as possible we're going to be supporting other runners all around London we joining them where we can and and supporting their efforts
3: yeah and it really is all around london so we're, we're we're running in in southeast London where we happen to live, but you don't have to join us on these bus routes, you know buses run all over London, right? so just run, run locally, get your kids go for um go for a ten minute run. it's a nice bit of exercise and um and dedicate that to the bus workers hashtag run for a bus. So
0: that that's all really inspiring. Any kind of last words that you might have for encouraging somebody who, who loves the idea but hasn't really put on a pair of trainers and run before and is happy to donate but thinks, actually, I would quite like to. What, what would be your work? You know, what's your one tip that you might give to somebody who's never really run before?
3: Oh, take it slow. Take it very slow. I remember the first time I went forward. I, I took up running only a couple of years ago and I couldn't run a mile. The first time I went out for a a run, after half a mile, I was just out out of breath. I was, you know, I thought I was going to die. So just take it slow, take it easy, enjoy it. Just just make it five minutes. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And Mike?
4: Yes, you could walk for a bus. I mean, you could, I mean, people always say when you start running, you you run a little bit, walk a little bit, run a little bit, walk a bit. You can do that. You can do a fast walk along your high street between a few bus stops. And that's that. That would be fantastic. That's an achievement. And if that gets you, you know, through these latter stages of the lockdown, if that gets you out and about more. And if you think I quite enjoyed that and I'd like to run a bit more. Well, fantastic. You know, you know, we'd love to hear stories about people taking up running as a result of this.
3: Yeah. And 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 if you're on, on public transport this weekend, just, um, you know, Say a couple of words of appreciation to the bus driver. Do you remember how you know? Yeah, We used to say thank you to the bus driver when you cut off. We don't really do that anymore. We should start doing that again.
4: Yeah, that's a lovely point.
1: Yeah, sounds like a lovely plan. So just remind remind our listeners. So it'll be on Saturday and Sunday. People will be running throughout the whole weekend. Is and, that
4: right? and and Friday we're running Friday. from tomorrow. Yeah, we're, we're going to be up. We're going to be up tomorrow morning at dawn on the road by seven. Fantastic. Finishing kind of mid morning in Crystal Palace bus station, and yes, and the people will be going all, all weekend.
1: Brilliant! And what's your dream scenario, Peter or Mike? What? what how much would you would you love to raise?
3: Oh, gosh, we'd love to raise ten thousand. Would be fantastic. Everything goes to the transport. That we would be amazing. Look after the bus workers' families, yeah, you know, ev every... But also every penny it's all it's all good
4: <laughs> it really does and and as we say it's it's you could be a bus driver affected by covid and and apply for a for a grant from the transport benevolent fund or you could be in the very unfortunate situation of of being the family member of a deceased bus driver and you can apply for grants so um and they are dedicating a, a specific fund for this from the money that we raise
1: that's you couldn't get a better cause really Fantastic. Listen, Peter, Mike, we wish you the very, very best on your marathon and fundraisers and maybe you'll pop back and let us know how you get on. Oh, we'd
4: love to. Thank you very much.
3: Yeah, yeah. Thank best you. of we luck. Know. And then you, so the two of you, please go for a run as well.
4: Yes. Are you volunteering? I think this is volunteering, isn't it?
3: Yeah. I yeah. promise.
1: There are a okay. red buses in St Albans, but we will we'll <laughs> find a bus route and we'll definitely do it uh, yeah. okay for you
4: accept the you. challenge <laughs> welcome aboard
1: brilliant thanks a million guys great to talk
4: to you thanks sima thanks very much lydia okay good luck thanks bye-bye
1: so i'm really pleased um to have rosanna rafel ricks joining us on the show this evening and she's a policy and external affairs manager at the anti-semitism policy trust hi rosanna
5: hi lydia hi
1: how are you doing
5: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: Yeah, all right. Crazy times. We're—I mean, we're—we're we're all trying to get our head around COVID, and that's why we really wanted to speak to you um, about your experience. So, you work at the Anti-Semitism Policy Trust. Tell, tell us a little bit about what you do.
5: Um, so, we are the Anti-Semitism Policy Trust, and our mission is to educate and empower parliamentarians, policymakers, um, opinion formers, and other stakeholders to address anti-Semitism. So, we work with all different parties in government, in parliament at the moment. And we also provide the sectariat to the all party parliamentary group against anti-Semitism. So we work with um, anyone who wants to address anti-Semitism and educate them, helping formulate potential policy on issues that could relate to anti-Semitism. And we also work internationally with parliamentarians and others to address it.
1: And tell us, Rosanna, has COVID-19 affected Jewish communities in in your experience and around the UK?
5: Yeah, so I think with all religious communities, um, it's impacted our activities such as attending synagogues, bar and bat mitzvahs so that's when um, boys turn 13 and girls turn 12 and they have a celebration and other festivals so I think in terms of sort of observance it has impacted so we recently celebrated Shavuot uh, which is a the harvest festival which we had to do from home also we had Passover which is when we celebrate the exodus from Egypt Um, and we had our Seder so the ritual meal meal over Zoom uh, rather than in person so I think it's been very much a case of adapting to ha- how we live our Jewish lives in the UK and I guess globally as well. Um, I think, in terms of wider, potentially negative impact on the community, uh, in March 2020, there was a mandatory cremation bill put forward in the government uh, or in parliament. So, those who died from coronavirus, if there were no other options, they would be cremated. Um, and this, for a vast majority of Jews and Muslims, would be an issue as it's prohibited. Um, so, after pressure from several groups, the government government amended the legislation to allow the protection of religious freedoms to allow that choice for burial so that's one way it's impacted another way it's impacted is in april it was revealed that anglo jewish deaths from covid were 3 to 4 times higher than the national average so it's really impacting the community in the uk and by may you know as with the rest of the country the rate of deaths has slowed down but it's we still account for 1.1% of deaths from corona in the uk despite only making up 0.5% of the population so i guess that's sort of looking at it sort of the negatives of how it's impacting us
1: it's certainly a shocking yeah. statistic mm.
5: Yeah, so it's I think it could be because when people go to synagogue in the early stages before lockdown happened, people are more, you know, larger gatherings, whether it's bar mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs, wedding celebrations or funerals or shivers, which is when we sit uh, seven days uh, with family and friends to sort of do prayers for, for those who have died. I think those could have been ways that Corona spread in the community at the very beginning before lockdown.
1: Yeah, but it's it's quite three to four times more than the average. That is, that really mm. is significant.
5: Yeah, we're not sure why. I, I I would hazard that's the that's the reason is, is the fact that you know as a community we'll, we'll pray together, be around each other. But other than that, there's there's no sort of scientific reason as to as to why that's happened.
1: I'd imagine there'll be some research into that yeah. in the in the months and years going forward to find out what the answer is. Exactly, because I'm sure. Yeah, it's something that has to be looked into.
5: But on a more positive note, so I think it has changed the community for, for getting more involved in their synagogues. So, you know, I, I'm one who's guilty of this, of, of not attending very much. You know, often the synagogues will put on, you know, shears, so lessons or, or meetings with the rabbi and, and other services. And a lot of that has moved online as with with other communities and other work so you know various Jewish topics are discussed and those who do not attend synagogue are often attending those because it's just so much easier to fit into your life so I think in that way the community has come together Um, and Jewish groups are trying to strengthen resources online to make it more accessible for the whole community such as webinars and other interactive online activity so within our group the Antisemitism Policy Trust we've been running fortnightly Zoom with a view webinars uh, with different high profile uh, people in the community who deal with anti-Semitism. And we're seeing, you know, many more people tune in than potentially would have attended in person. So I think in that way, it has brought the community together and is helping educate the community on various topics they might not have shown an interest in before.
1: Completely. I mean I listened into mm-hmm. one of the Zoom of Zoom with a view um, with John Mann, mm-hmm. the MP, and it was great. It was a fantastic insight. Very informal and and but very yeah. informative. You know, it's great to see what he's doing to um, to help the Jewish community in
5: mm-hmm. the UK. So we've so we've got some more coming up. Um, so we're speaking to uh, Lord Pickles in a couple of weeks about his work as the Holocaust envoy. Um, we spoke yesterday to Carrie Asim MBE, who's the government advisor on a definition of Islamophobia. So we're really trying to look at it from different perspectives.
1: Fantastic. And so silver linings. There are yeah. there are a couple of <laughs> silver linings in in the whole COVID. 19. But has has anti-Semitism risen, in your opinion, over the whole corona lockdown?
5: Well, we don't monitor levels of anti-Semitism. But I suspect we will see a rise in anti-Semitism that has taken place online, uh, on social media, as opposed to uh, levels of verbal abuse on the streets, violence, graffiti um, and other damage and desecration. And I think this will just be simply because people are stuck at home. In lockdown, they can't go out, so they don't have those potential opportunities to engage in anti-Semitism outside. In July or August, the Community Security Trust, who monitor levels of anti-Semitism, will release their report. Their six monthly report, which will look at the period of COVID, so from January to July. So I think that will be an interesting read to see how it's impacted the figures.
1: It certainly will. I mean, and I can. I mean, I can imagine that what will what will transpire is a rise in stereotyping. Would you say? I mean, is that something you've seen anecdotally? I know it's not what the Anti-Semitism Policy Trust does, but have are people in your community or the wider community speaking about? old stereotypes narratives tropes Mm -hmm. coming back again
5: yeah so I definitely think there has been um, anti-semitic scapegoating during this crisis I mean people often look for somebody to blame Um, of course With coronavirus, there has been a rise in anti-Chinese messaging online and and they have been the focus. Um, But Jews have been blamed for pandemics in the past, such as the Black Death, the the bubonic plague. Um, And in the 20th 20th century, they were blamed for, the Jewish community was blamed for typhus and measles outbreaks, you know, in in the United States. So blaming and scapegoating Jews, this is a continuation of the trend. Um, The Anti-Defamation League, who deal with anti-Semitism in America, and the Community Security Trust, who I mentioned, before in the UK have outlined how it has manifested. So they're seeing that people are discussing that the virus is real, but Jews have manufactured it. Um, Others have said that it's fake and it's a Jewish conspiracy. Uh, People are suggesting that Jews are the primary spreaders of the virus. Others are celebrating Jewish deaths. And others are saying, you know, the really extreme type of content that we're seeing is that we should spread coronavirus to kill Jews. And that's something that neo-Nazi groups are really spreading on on social media. Um, And unfortunately, this hasn't just been on the fringes of society, there have been cases of high profile figures who've shared conspiracy theories um, about Jews and the virus, you know, on, on social media. So I think that's one way as to how it's manifesting itself. In terms of sort of why it's doing this again, I think inherently, when people scapegoat communities it's a psychological defense mechanism of denial to protect themselves and to blame others you know uh, one philosopher suggested that it's about quelling the madness of the crowds finding somebody to blame in order to stop people from from not being able to understand what's going on you know and having to other yourself in a time of crisis I think this helps us as human beings to explain something that's completely unexplainable um, and with regard to Jews specifically you know the Nazis scapegoated the Jews for the Loss of World War One and the Great Depression. It that's that hit the world after the world, Wall Street crash. So this isn't something that's that's new to us um, as a Jewish community. It's something we face time and time again. So I think that's maybe a little bit about the history of why it's it's happening today. Um, and today, I think the majority of, of of conspiracy theories that we're seeing is is online on social media. So that's both on mainstream platforms such as Twitter and Facebook, but also on more fringe platforms such as 4chan and 8chan. Um, and often these conspiracies are made more palatable to the masses so they're not going to say something like you know jews are are, are evil or jews are engaging in the blood libel which is one anti-semitic conspiracy theories but they'll focus more on you know world control world domination mind control that there's like an evil unknowing group that's that's putting that out there and often that will come with connotations of of anti-semitism so i think that's the way it's it's manifesting and why we're seeing a, a recurrence of it today
1: and i think many listeners will be just shocked to hear that that there is a rise in in conspiracy theories or linking jewish communities to to corona in such an apparent way it really it really is mm. it's quite disappointing yeah. and quite depressing and i and i suppose what what listeners and what people in the wider community should be doing is watching out for these stereotypes and tropes and narratives and conspiracy theories and calling them out when they come across them online.
5: Exactly. I mean, I think it's one of the most important things that people can do is to educate themselves about what antiSemitism is. I think often in a way that is not the case with other forms of racism it 's often clouded by by terms such as one world government. you know we often hear about control of the banks or control of media. These emanate from the anti semitic forgery, the elders of Zion, which was uh, created in russia in 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 the early 20th century Um, and these live on today and i think it's really important for people to understand you know the coded words that relate to anti-semitism because this is the only way we can combat it i think online it's really important that if you see this sort of content i think it is important on the one hand to call it out but listeners need to be aware that often when you call this sort of Sort of content out, you might face um, a backlash of abuse yourself. So I think it's about reporting content that you see on social media, um, or educate and educating yourself and others about it. So raising awareness. Um, we produce at the antisemitism Policy Trust um, lots of different publications looking at this. So recently we put out one looking at myths and misco- myth- misconceptions about Jews. So that really looks at the history of, of all the different conspiracy theories, whether it's about Jews and the blood libel or Jews who allegedly killing jesus or the issue of the um protocols of the elders of zion so that's something that readers can uh, sorry listeners can can read to to really understand this
1: and i i would urge listeners to take take a few minutes and um you know dig around and have have a research and, and find out what exactly um is the history behind these because i think a big part of the problem is particularly the younger community now, aren't aware quite often that they are kind of perpetuating anti-Semitism by talking about New World Order or, you know, by by perpetuating stereotypes about the Rothschild family mm-hmm. or George Soros or, you know, um, other people prominent people like that so it's it there is a lot of ignorance unfortunately out there and by educating ourselves and finding out then of course yeah absolutely maybe not call out people on social Mm -hmm. media but the dot 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 next to any post allows you to to report to social media platforms so you you can let people let let platforms know when um when hate is being is being spread
5: I would definitely second that. That that is something that can really help the community. Uh, letting the social media platforms know, you know, even if they don't remove it, the more s- stuff that gets reported, it could be hidden from view from others seeing it, um, and could protect others from seeing it.
1: And anything will certainly help stem the tide of of hate. And and it it's, it is quite saddening to hear that corona the coronavirus has been is being used to. To uh, pick on a community that already has seen, um, as you said in history, so many incidents um, already. But and are there any other silver linings out of out of the coronavirus from from your perspective, Rosanna? Anything that you've seen?
5: Well, I definitely think you know what I mentioned earlier about the Jewish community coming together to discuss this. I think one of the other things that I, I've noticed is within the anti-racism movement. Um, we're obviously very stretched, you know, at the moment. So many different groups are being scapegoated, especially with the protests going on with Black Lives Matter. It's, it's taken, it's shifted a lot of a lot of the work that people are doing. But I definitely think it's it's brought people together. Uh, there's more groups working on this who are talking to each other, who are meeting online, who may not have known each other before. Uh, I think it's forced almost. a a cohesion between the groups to to work together so i think that's from our from my perspective the work that we're doing um has has had a wider has had a wider reach as well so i think in in that way there has been some silver linings um to to this uh pandemic
1: great rosanna rifle ricks thank you so much for joining us and and for sharing your your views
5: thank you lydia thank you
3: that's it for tonight thank you very much for joining us Tune in every Thursday at 8pm to listen to The Parent Show on 92.6 FM Radio Verulam. Good night.
0: Neves Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk Neves Solicitors, your complete legal solution.